For the week of May 23rd, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we got a big one. Uh, First, we talk with one of the founders of the March for Truth that is coming up this Saturday, Holly O'Reilly. And then we have an in-depth discussion with Manka Dingra, who is a Democrat running for state Senate in the 45th District, a race that has statewide and even national implications. And then, as per usual, we will have our dose of good news, followed by our weekly call to action. My first guest, Holly O'Reilly, was one of the creators of the March for Truth, an event that is happening all across the country this Saturday, June 3rd, including a number of locations here in Washington. One of the key demands of the march has been that a special prosecutor be appointed to investigate the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. And literally minutes before we recorded our interview on May 17th, Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein appointed former FBI Director Robert Mueller as a special independent prosecutor. So I asked Holly for her reaction. Um, My reaction is it's about time. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're pleased that uh, they're taking the demand seriously, not completely happy with their choice in a former Bush appointee, but uh, pleased that they are at least thinking about about this. I did not expect Rosenstein to do it, especially not this soon. But I think when it became clear to everyone that Trump was handing over information to the Russians, inviting them into the Oval Office, that when it became clear to everyone that was happening, then they had to do something. So let's talk about the genesis of the march. Where did the idea come from and when? Okay. So we all saw what was happening when the Pentagon announced that it was investigating Flynn for taking money from a foreign government. Mm. And we just said, no, we're done with this now. Because so much had happened before that. There was so much smoke and nobody was investigating the fire. It was Everybody was dragging their feet on it. Um, and that was May 1st, or maybe a day or two before that. We announced that this march was happening on May 1st. So it's only been a couple weeks. The, the timing really couldn't have been better. I, I can't imagine that you would have necessarily foreseen just quite how timely it was going to be by the time uh, June 3rd rolls around. But uh, yeah, it's certainly going to be something that's on everybody's mind. So three of the people who uh, get a lot of press as being key to creating the march are Jordan Ewell, Andrea Chalupa, and Justin Hendricks. But you uh, started this movement actually before they were involved with uh, a different group of people. Who were they? Um, It's actually Olga Lotman and Jamie Carter who started um, talking about the march. And at first it was had a different name and people, other people were involved in kind of a, everybody was retweeting everybody else capacity. And I was just... I had a bigger Twitter following, so I would just retweet them. And then it kind of snowballed into this thing that people were really interested in. And then I think it was Olga who got a hold of uh, Andrea Chalupa. And then Andrea got a hold of Justin and Jordan. And because Justin and Jordan live in New York and Washington, D.C., respectively, they took the lead on both of those marches. And they have been amazing at organizing on the East Coast. Um, Now, we've fallen back a little bit. Olga and Jamie and I have fallen back a little bit into supporting roles. Olga lives in New York City. She um, is working really hard on that march. 
and Jamie lives in Utah, and she's pretty much doing everything for Salt Lake City. And I should mention that you are here in Seattle. Uh, What is your specific capacity? I am the fixer. I am the person (laughs) that people come to um, when they don't know how to fundraise uh, in any city. We've got 80 cities in five countries now. So whenever anybody has a question or a problem or a concern, they come to us. Uh, We have a networking platform that we work on. They ask a question and I pop on and I answer it. How are you doing the fundraising? I know that you have a a CrowdPack site. Are there other streams of income? We're doing CrowdPack. We sold t-shirts and we're still selling t-shirts, but yesterday was the last day to get them before the March. So we really pushed that hard and we're getting, we're securing sponsors. Um, We have partners who help us with in-kind things like um, Indivisible as a partner and Move On as a partner. Well, I'll ask you, since you are talking to a a great number of Indivisible members right now, what is Indivisible's capacity and involvement with the March? They have been amazing. Um, I, I think it was Justin who contacted them initially. We all got on a conference call and talked about how we could help each other and, you know, we're starting up and we're so we're, so we're not that powerful. <laughs> we can't really help them as much. We do a lot of retweeting of Indivisible. We you know, have them on our site. What they did for us was they pushed out to all of their people our march. And so we got this influx of interest. They helped us with some of our graphics that you see on Twitter or Facebook. Um, they didn't do the original graphics. They helped design our T-shirts. They've just been incredible, and they're doing other things behind the scenes that I'm sure I don't even know about because that's not my part of the job. One of the things that I have found in my time in Indivisible is that there is a deep, deep well of abilities and skills that people bring to this. So uh, I'm, I, I must say I'm not surprised. Um, I want to talk about the specific demands of the march, especially in context of the news that just broke today, because as I said, your number one aim of the march when the demand uh, was that a special prosecutor be named. Uh, You've also mentioned an independent commission must be established, so that is possibly still in the works there, and that congressional investigations should be properly resourced and pursued free of partisan interest. So I guess there's probably (laughs) still more work to do. Uh, Talk about about some of the other things. There are three other items uh, that the march is demanding. Can you talk about those? Yeah, we need to have as much information as possible, as soon as possible, about all of these ties to Russia. Why Comey was fired, how he was fired. We need to know everything that there is to know about uh, Flynn's meeting with Kislyak, about um, Manafort's Manafort being a foreign agent and working for the Trump campaign at the same time. That's just insane. I mean. There's so talk about a deep well. There's so much there there that it would take an hour to just go through all of it. Um, there are shows dedicated to just that. Actually, <laughs> I'm sure so. that there are. <laughs> um, yeah, every week. So we need to know that information. It needs to be public. It needs to be transparent. One of the other demands of the march is that uh, Congress should push Trump to release his tax returns, and you have specific reasons for that. Right. Um, We don't know what kind of hold any foreign government has on him. We don't know what his business interests are. We don't know 
what his obligations are to Russia or Ukraine or any other foreign country. But we don't know why he would disrespect 17 intelligence agencies, but praise Vladimir Putin. It no. makes no sense. So we need to know. Yeah, I, I believe that was a, a talking point that uh, Hillary Clinton brought up during one of their debates. You might be right. <laughs> and then there was a, a, a final demand, which is that if crimes were committed or collusion is discovered, that it must be prosecuted. And right. I think that's something that's very much on the minds of everybody. It's so that this, something like this is not only punished, but that it never happens again. Um, I want to talk about how the march has kind of changed and progressed with the many news stories that are breaking on a daily basis. Basis. How are you all dealing with that? Has it, I assume that it hasn't changed the mission of the march, but I, I would imagine that in terms of just sort of responding to the day-to-day news cycle, that at least on social media, you're being responsive in that way, yeah? Yes. It, yeah, it's changed dramatically. It started off pretty slow. Um, people were really angry after that news about Flynn. So uh, especially, you know, on Twitter, which is where the you know the genesis of this was, and they wanted an impeachment march immediately. Just went straight to impeachment, and we thought that's not really. Maybe that's going to happen, you know. At this point, nobody was really talking about impeachment seriously. Now you've got Republicans today saying the word impeachment, which is insane. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's been two and a half weeks, so. You know, we try to stay away from the I word because that's not our goal. Our goal is to have a methodical investigation and do everything by the book. It can't be half-assed. It cannot be, you know, something that you could look at later and say, well, that wasn't done right. So Trump must be innocent. You can't go straight to impeachment. Right. So that's where we started from. Well, speaking of politicians, I'm curious to know if you have secured the involvement or even the endorsement of any elected officials. I think that some of the sister marches have. We're still in the process of getting speakers. I, but I do know that some of, especially in Los Angeles, I know they're trying to get Ted Lieu Great. to speak in um, Los Angeles. He's been quite outspoken. <laughs> I, I rather enjoy his Twitter account. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about the growth. I mean, now that, you know, it's become so timely um, on in a Washington Post article from May 10th, the projection was 30 cities. And now you say it's grown to over 80 cities. You're the fixer. How have you dealt with such rapid growth? <laughs> um, yeah, it's been crazy. We've I think Justin and Jordan and Olga and Jamie all have full-time jobs. They're all working really hard on on um, making sure that everything runs smoothly. I do not work full-time. I'm a mom. I stay home. So I can just kind of hover over social media and pick up on any little thing that needs to be dealt with, which I don't know how helpful it is. I, I feel like it's helpful. I feel like I'm doing something, doing a lot of database work and trying to keep everybody straight, everybody in line. Yeah. It, I don't think that there's any way to describe how busy everybody is. I'm wondering because I've never actually thought about, I've attended many marches and rallies, but I've never, and many of us, I think, uh, people listening, have maybe never really even thought about what goes into putting something like this together. I mean, you have to secure permits. You have to coordinate with local law enforcement. There are a million things that need to be done for events like this, yes? There are. um, You know, I I used to, um, when I was 
musician. I used to put events together, big events, small events, outdoor events, and we'd have to get, you know, permits and things once in a while. Nothing like this. I've never had to secure porta potties before. <laughs> That's new. I've never had to get the cops involved um, right. to make sure we have a decent crowd control. I never had to talk to them about what we need or, or what you know the march needs. It's impossible to tell how many people are going to be there. So we're still figuring out the route because every day we get a new projection of how many people are going to show up. And we don't want what happened with the women's march in D.C., was there was no march right. because it was from the beginning of the march to the end of the march, it was wall to wall people, but they didn't have a choice and they didn't know that they were going to have that many people. Now we're not going to have near as many people as that. I don't think, but we don't want to have a tiny little space and then have 50,000 people or whatever. Well, but when you're talking about the routes to be selected, you're, you're talking specifically about the march here in Seattle, correct? Yes, yes, yes. So, so you don't have any estimates as to how big you're expecting the march to be just yet? No, we don't. It's because it changes every day. It changes yeah. constantly. Well, I should mention that uh, I show three happening in Washington. There's the one in Seattle. There's also one out in North Bend and one down in Richland. Uh, we'll provide information for those uh, other marches on this site. Um, since you brought up the Women's March, uh, we've had a number of marches deemed successful since the inauguration, the Women's March, of course, being the biggest, but also the March for Science and others. In your estimation, what's going to make this a, uh, a successful march? Um, I think the June 4th is going to be the most important day. The march itself is is important, but I think that the work that is going to be done afterwards is going to be even more important. What we're going to have to do to keep up the pressure, we have a special prosecutor, that's great, but we still don't have Trump's taxes, and we still don't know if there was collusion. And so we're going to have to keep up that pressure. And if we can get all of the people who are motivated to get out and march and protest, if we can motivate them on June 4th, that will be the success, I think. So I know you're looking for volunteers uh, and you've got some information on your website. How can people get involved? Um, If they go to the main website, it's marchfortruth.info, they can um, fill in a quick little form. They'll say where they are and then that will get directed to the city that they're trying to volunteer in. Now, for Seattle specifically, there's a Facebook page. It's March for Truth Seattle. You just have to search it in Facebook, and then you can get involved from there. There's a at the top of the page. There's a pin that says what the email address to get involved as a volunteer, or in any other capacity. If you have a specific skill that you'd like to help with, um, you know, we're always looking for people who have experience in um, planning marches. Um, we have some amazing people. We live in an amazing state and an amazing community. We and really, amazing really do. Time. <laughs> and an amazing time. We're living history right now. Yeah. Holly O'Reilly, uh, first of all, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing on the March for Truth. And also, thank you for coming on the show and joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Time now for this week's call to action. But first, our weekly dose of good news. A special thank you to Michael Nash and my liberal pal, John Grady, for helping with this list. 
And yes, I think it's important to take a moment to celebrate the fact that a special prosecutor has been named to investigate Trump's ties to Russia. And two things about that. First, uh, I am of the opinion that Robert Mueller is a very solid choice because he served under two administrations, one Republican and one Democrat. And because, by all accounts, and as evidenced by his past work investigating al-Qaeda, among other things, he is enormously thorough. If there are things to be found, you will find them. And there are things to be found. Uh, The other thing to take pride in is that the Indivisible movement absolutely played a part in this. In the words of Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, quote, there would be no special counsel if not for the millions of Americans doggedly and persistently speaking truth to power. He's talking about us, y'all. The people are also speaking out in other ways, uh, at least according to a recent Monmouth University poll, and they are saying we don't like Donald Trump. Trump's approval ratings hit their lowest point ever, dropping to 39% with a 53% disapproval rating. But wait, it gets better, because what is really significant in these numbers here is that Trump's approval rating has dropped by an average of four percentage points in counties where he won by a margin of 10 points. And according to public policy polling, a majority of Americans now support impeachment. And finally, right here at home, a federal judge in Seattle temporarily blocked AG Jeff Sessions and the DOJ from preventing Northwest Immigrant Rights Project from providing legal assistance to those facing deportation here in the state. Boy, this state, I tell you, I'm so proud. And now for this week's call to action. So you guys remember that almost comically cruel health care bill that made its way through the House? I know a lot has happened over the past few weeks that it's hard to remember, but think back. There it is. So a group of 13 senators, all white males, I should add, uh, is currently going over this disaster of a bill that landed on their desk and trying to make... Uh, let's call them improvements. And it turns out they're not all that sure about what they're doing. So they sent out a letter to people they consider to be, quote, select stakeholders asking for their feedback. What's that, you say? You didn't receive one of those letters? Well, not to worry. We have an intercepted copy for you, captured by Topher Spiro, a senior fellow at Center for American Progress and brought to my attention by my pal and fearless leader of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, Chris Petzold. And what do you know? There's an email address asking for feedback. It would be a shame if we were to tell you that that address is healthreformatfinance.senate.gov. Again, healthreformatfinance.senate.gov. I'm feeling like a select stakeholder. How about you? Let's give them a little feedback on Trump care, you wanna? And don't worry if you didn't get that address, I will have it for you on the website. Sound off on Trump care, you select stakeholder, you. And that is this week's call to action. My next guest is Manka Dingra. She is a Democratic candidate running for state Senate in Washington's 45th legislative district in this year's special election. Now, ordinarily, state Senate elections don't get the kind of attention that this race is getting. We have talked a fair amount on past shows about why the state Senate race in the 45th is significant, not just here for us in the state, but also nationally. So for people who maybe aren't familiar, I began my discussion with Mankadengra by asking her to talk about some of those reasons. Well, this special election is significant uh, because currently the Washington State Senate is controlled by the Republicans by one seat. And this could potentially be the seat that flips our Senate. 
So if it flips the Senate, that means the Democrats control the Senate, the House, and the governorship, in essence, turning the state blue. So it has local implications because there's been a lot of gridlock in Olympia due to this divided House and Senate. Um, and we really, frankly, have not had a lot of bills that have been passed and we haven't been governing. So locally, that's important to make sure we can actually get past the partisanship that is holding the will of the people from moving forward. And on a national level, it turns the state blue. And I think visually having that wall of blue with California, Oregon, and Washington, in one essence, I think gives a lot of people a lot of hope, especially against the Trump agenda. Absolutely. And well, speaking of the Trump agenda, uh, the 2016 election was some. It was an event that got a lot of people off the sidelines and taking action, maybe for the first time. Uh, but you really jumped into the thick of it with this race. What ultimately was the deciding factor for you in choosing to run? Uh, the the election last year had a lot to do with it. Yeah. I was fairly uh, devastated by the result. It's not something I expected. I actually called in sick to work the next day because I couldn't I couldn't get off my couch. A lot of us couldn't. Yeah. I and um, I really thought deep and hard about our country, our state, where we're going. And I decided I needed to take some personal responsibility. You know, I've been involved in legislative work for a very long time. As a prosecutor working in mental health court and therapeutic alternatives, I've been involved in legislative work in that regard, mental health court, veterans court, crisis intervention, and also domestic violence because I'm one of the founders of CHIA, which is a South Asian domestic violence organization. Yeah, and I very much want to talk about that in depth in a moment because it's significant what you created with CHIA. But yeah, you're you're deeply involved in local and state politics, so I guess it was a logical fit that you would dive into what is turning out to right. be one of the most consequential races in the state. Right. So I did, you know, when I thought about what I had been doing for the last 20 years, I knew I wanted to do something where I had the same level of impact, which meant a statewide race. Yeah. And then I, uh, a couple of things happened. Um, our local mosque had a safety forum where we had all six police chiefs there. I was there and we had a room full of people. And I'd gotten involved in doing hate crime, uh, into hate crimes after 9-11 when our local Sikh taxi cab driver had been assaulted here in Seattle. Yeah. And I'd done some cultural sensitivity training for law enforcement. And being in that room and hearing how scared people were for themselves, for their families, and for the future, that uncertainty of not knowing what is going to happen was really eye-opening. And a few days after that, I had gone to a hate crime seminar that the Indian Association of Western Washington had put up. And it was the same thing. We had Indian families who had been living in Issaquah, Redmond, Bellevue, telling me that their children had been told in school that they're going to get deported, that they're going to be sent back. And and I was shocked. I mean, this is not the America that I know. Right. And it's not okay for people to feel that way. And so that weekend, you know, my husband and I talked and uh, we decided that it was crucial that our democracy represent each and every single one of us. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to throw my name in the hat. 
And when you accepted the nomination from the 45th District Democrats, you said that you're, quote, sick of waiting for others to fix our problems. Um, so maybe just expand on that a little bit. Uh, I know that on your website you talk about education funding, mental health, violence prevention, and protecting the rights of women as being your legislative priorities. Um, I'd love to discuss uh, a couple of those in depth. First, education. The appointment of Betsy DeVos as education secretary has raised a lot of red flags among progressives. Uh, You are a mom with two children in public school here in the state. How do you see Washington State pushing back against Betsy DeVos's agenda or I guess maybe lack of agenda for public education? Right. And I am I I am tired of waiting for others to fix our problems because we have some real problems in our state. And just as you mentioned, it starts off with education, mental health. There's a whole host of them. Um, A fully funded public education is really the foundation of our democracy. The public education system is what gives every single child their best opportunity to succeed. And when we don't fully fund education, we are literally robbing our children of a future. And that, again, is not okay. So fully funding public education system should be everyone's first priority because regardless of partisan issues, I think we should all be able to agree that we all want to leave the world a better place for our children. And I think if we start with that premise, we can work towards making sure we are um, setting up our children for success. In terms of women's rights and women's issues, uh, the Trump administration is decidedly anti-woman in addition to his comments about and behavior toward women. Uh, there are proposed cuts to Planned Parenthood, the reimposition of the so-called Mexico City policy. How do you see our state government here in Washington advancing women's issues? You know, um, it, it does sicken me that in the year 2017, we are still talking about women's reproductive health and women's rights. This should not, this should be a conversation that should offend every single adult. There should be parity between women's health and men's health. And I think that's how we push back. We push back by saying that none of this is acceptable. I would also like to talk about uh, API Chaya, and we touched on that a little bit earlier, but uh, you were born in India and you talk on your website about how domestic violence in the South Asian community often goes unreported. Um, API Chaya looks to curb domestic violence. Um, Talk about how you came to start that. So I got involved in domestic violence issues as an undergraduate in college. And that's when I first got exposed to an organization that was starting up called Narika. It was, I think, one of the first few South Asian domestic violence organizations. And I was very intrigued by it. I was also volunteering at a domestic violence shelter called A Safe Place. And culturally, both those organizations were very, very different. And I found that fascinating. When I moved here to Washington in um, 1996, I was interested in continuing my work in the domestic violence arena. So I contacted some of our local mainstream domestic violence organizations to find out how they serve South Asian women. And the response really surprised me because they said things like, oh, we don't see South Asian women here. We don't think that domestic violence is really an issue in this area for the South Asian population. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's true. Mm. And so I was really interested in um, meeting women who thought similarly and wanted to start an organization. And that's uh, how I found a group of women who were interested in the same thing. And so I co-founded Chaya when I was 
you know, 20, 21, no, 22. Oh my goodness. Wow. I was 22 at the time and uh, I was going to law school and, um, you know, it's, it's grown so much and it's been fabulous to see something that you create that grows and does so well. I, it's akin to like having a child, right? You create, you create something, goes to college (laughs) and becomes an adult and that's what API Chaya is now. Well, that's got to be a source of enormous pride, something that you actually started while you were still uh, in law school and to have seen it uh, grow into something that is doing the level of good that it's doing now. That's got to feel great. It, it does feel great. Uh, the, our first events, we had to basically beg people to come because no one wanted to be affiliated with you know domestic violence. Yeah. And now the API Chaya fundraising event is a sold out event every year. You know, if you want to go, you better buy your tickets early. And that is fabulous to see. So a lot of uh, special elections around the country this year are being seen as referendums on the Trump agenda, uh, races in Georgia, Kansas, Montana, and many others. Do you see this election as a referendum on the Trump agenda? Um, I, I do on some levels and some levels I don't. I think for the people on the 45th district, it is a local race. They want to make sure they're fully funding education because they're frustrated by the fact that we don't have our education system fully funded. We have children in classes in uh, portables. We have children who want to do dissections for their classes and the teachers don't have enough scaffolds. We want, you know, we have kids who want to take more AP classes and they don't have access to those. So there are real problems that we are dealing with every year because education is not fully funded. So I think for the local people in the 45th district, it's very much about the local issues. I think for people outside the district, it is definitely about flipping the state um, and about the Trump agenda. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of the issues that are specific to the 45th. Um, This is a district that runs through the eastern parts of King County, uh, through some very affluent areas in Sammamish and Kirkland, but also into some rural areas in Snohomish County. How are you honing your platform and message to address something of a socioeconomic split there? So I think the one thing that brings us together is doing what's right for our children and giving them the best opportunities to succeed. And that is my overall message. And the overall message also is about governing for the future and not running from one election cycle to the next. We have some great opportunities in the 45th with the number of companies we have, the innovation that already exists in our area. And we need to make sure that we are graduating children who have a plan for success, who are in a position to take advantage of the great opportunities that exist in our backyard. The other issues that we're dealing with, as you mentioned, with the socioeconomic uh, issues, is growth. There's a lot of growth in the 45th district, and we have to manage that growth. When I talk about strengthening communities, I'm talking about making sure that every single person in that community has a voice, and that we are looking at equity and social justice issues in making our decisions, and in ensuring that each and every person has the same opportunity to be successful. And a lot of that comes with how we're going to manage that growth. Are we going to look at high density areas? Are we going to look at affordable housing? What are we going to do with transportation? And how is that going to impact our environment? And when it ties back to education, you know, we want our teachers to be able to live in the area in which they teach. 
We want people who work in this area to be able to live in the area where they work. And that is something we have to address head on. So then moving from the micro to the macro, I guess, uh, I'm interested to get your take on the question of democratic values. After the 2016 election and the Democratic losses, there has been a lot of talk and some hand-wringing, really, about core Democratic values and what Democrats stand for as a party. So I'll just ask you straight out, what do you think of uh, core Democratic values as being? So what I identify as traditional Democratic values are diversity, inclusion, compassion, and respect. I would like to think that these have been traditional Republican values as well. And somewhere in the last few years, we have gotten lost in labels. And I really struggle with that. But, you know, traditionally, Republicans say, you know, they value growth. And I don't think that's a party value. I think all of us value growth because we all need our economy to grow. We all want good jobs and we all want to live a good, successful life. And speaking of Republicans, uh, in terms of your likely opponent, uh, the Republican Party in the state seems to have thrown their weight behind Jin Young England. She is a corporate executive who has been active in Republican politics. She uh, worked to help elect Kathy McMorris Rogers. She's done work for the Heritage Foundation. Uh, in terms of the issues that she's running on, she said that she wants to increase school funding, reduce traffic congestion, and balance the state budget. But she also, in a recent interview on the Dory Mon- show on Cairo says that she supports Donald Trump. Um, what is your strategy against her if she's the nominee? First of all, I have to say I am very impressed that the Republicans found a woman and that they found a Korean-American woman to run. I think the more women in politics, the better. So kudos to them for finding her. <laughs> um, and I think our resumes speak for themselves. I think the people in the 45th will do their research and uh, make a decision based on our resumes. Are there any current debates planned right now? None that I'm aware of. I'm sure there will be, and I look forward to them. Yeah. Well, uh, races cost money, and you have managed to raise over $200,000 almost solely through individual donations uh, with no money from corporations or PACs. I'll just ask you, how did you do that? You know, I have to say, um, I have been so impressed with everyone in the community stepping forward. You know, I've lived in Redmond for over 20 years. And when I decided I was going to do this and I announced all the different groups that I've been involved with, with over two decades stepped up. I've had the PTSA parents stepping up, the soccer parents. I've had teachers donating, which has been so amazing to see. I've had the mental health community, the domestic violence community, the South Asians, the the tech people, the prosecutors, the defense attorneys, everyone really has has stepped up. And that has been truly amazing to see. And and I'm really grateful for all individual contributions. I have to say, um, writing those thank you notes uh, does take a really long time. (laughs) But it is is important to acknowledge all the individuals who really have uh, and are making a difference by contributing to this race. And I should also mention, uh, because uh, you may not toot your own horn on this, but I certainly will, um, that you have the endorsement of Governor Jay Inslee and uh, Senator Patty Murray, which is great. Yes, uh, that's the other level of support. Uh, Nearly everyone on the Dem side in the state has endorsed me, and that has been wonderful to see. It's been really great to see all the endorsements of all the great leaders. And 
um, I will tell you, I got to meet President Jimmy Carter. Did you? Tell us about I, that. I did. I was doing the introduction for um, Executive Dow Constantine's lunch. And I sat down after that and Dow was speaking. And in the middle of his speech, in walks President Jimmy Carter. And he actually, I'm extremely fond of President Jimmy Carter. I think he's just an amazing human being. He is also my husband's personal hero. My husband has worshipped Jimmy Carter for decades. <laughs> and President Carter gets on the stage. He, The first thing out of his mouth is, where is Mankatingra? Really? Wow. Yeah. So, he, so your reputation precedes you. He then points to me and he says, I would love to get a photo with you. And wow. I was ecstatic. So did you did you speak with him? I did. After he spoke, uh, we chatted for a few minutes. He said he'll be checking up um, on me, um, which I'm really glad to hear. And we had a wonderful photo and he kissed me on the cheek. Oh, I love that story. Uh, so the special election is going to be on November 7th. And there is, as you are well aware, a lot to do between now and then. There are many potential volunteers listening right now. So um, how can people help and get involved? I would like everyone to go onto my website, electmanka.com. That's M-A-N-K-A. And sign up to help. And what has been really fabulous is that we have had over a thousand volunteers sign up through this website alone. And this race is going to see a lot of money thrown at it, a lot of money definitely on the Republican side. And what I'm going to have on my campaign are the feet on the ground. It's going to be people. It's going to be people walking and knocking on doors. It's going to be people talking to each other, talking about the issues and making sure we get people to vote. So I highly encourage everyone to check me out on Facebook and on my website and get involved. Well, we'll include all that information on our website. And uh, Monka Dinger, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And that will do it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. As always, please keep the thoughts and feedback coming. Email me at WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, the address is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Do check out our Facebook page. Uh, You can find it by entering Washington State Indivisible Podcast into the search function. You know how it goes. Oh, and one last item. In addition to the March for Truth locations I mentioned in my interview with Holly O'Reilly, there's also one happening in Bonnie Lake. I will try to provide as much info about all of this that I can. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Holly O'Reilly and Monka Dingra. Oh, and special thank you to John Hargis for helping editing this show. You rock, man. And thank you, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.